Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast, where I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be chatting, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, live in person in the studio, as always. I know. Nice nice to be talking uh, face-to-face. I know. It doesn't happen often enough. We have to stop meeting like this, Paul, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, here we are. I believe we're in season five, if I'm not mistaken, still. I'm looking at uh, Jessica Feynman here is giving me the nod, <laughs> right? Season five. Uh, assembling a group practice. And today we're going to talk about associate dentist equity. You know, so as you try to grow your group, obviously you need dentists. How are you going to be able to attract those dentists and, uh, and, and retain them for that matter? And a tactic that I hate to say it a tactic, you know, that yeah. makes that sounds Strategy. kind of negative, doesn't it? Strategy. I like yeah. that. Uh, that a lot of larger DSOs use and well, DSOs of all sizes is to offer those people equity. The proverbial, you know, I'm a, I'm a captain of catchphrases, Reb, and I don't even want to know where this one came from, but the proverbial skin in the game. Don't tell me where that came from, but this is it, right? <laughs> all these all these weird catchphrases where you don't want to know. Like, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. I don't even want to know where that started. Yeah. But, is it, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, as someone who has multiple associates, part of a group practice, I mean, the, the mission behind this is one that can be pretty noble, but the execution of it can cause, uh, confusion, uh, as I say with Dennis, sometimes of crying inside. And, you know, it's this, it's this world of building group practices, which I admire. I do it myself. I role model it. Yeah. I think it's great when dentists can work under the same proverbial roof, even if all those roofs are not attached to each other. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about through these seasons of being uh, dental amigos, that, you know, it's the, it's not necessarily the opposite. It's just very different of being that surfer dentist running your own one, dentist practice where you have to figure out how to get the get along factor, so right. to speak. Right, right. No, that's that's for sure. And obviously retaining associates yeah. these days, you know, especially if you're looking at assembling a large group. When I say large, let's just say it's something that you can't possibly work and provide right. dentistry in all those practices. Right now you start to get to the point where you need other people. Sure. Um, if you're going to rely on those other people, you have to have, as we say, a strategy to attract them. And then a strategy to retain them. Yeah, you know we're going to say strategy instead of tactic. I like so, that. You like better. Yeah. So first off, you know uh, when we talk about uh, equity in the practice, there are a lot of different ways to skin the cat, right? Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. Is, it's not very phrase. vegan, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 skin yeah. the game, skin the cats. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, but we'll 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 stick with that for now. But you, uh, there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, and so when you're talking about equity, it's equity in what? Right. Right. So are we talking about giving them equity in the professional entity that owns the practice? 
are we talking about giving them equity in a management company, the, the DSO that you have yeah. formed to manage all these practices? Or are we talking about equity in really what is a hybrid, which is referred to oftentimes as JV equity, yeah. where they're going to have equity in a management company, like a mini DSO, that only manages that one practice, right? So sure. uh, this is one of the things I think that people that are sort of new to this world say, well, we're going to bring them in as a partner. Okay. How? Right. Where? Because if you have, let's just say, hypothetically, five locations at this time, and you want to get this associate, you want to attract and retain that associate, and you want them to 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 benefit from the the increase in value and revenue of that location where you want to incentivize yeah. them, well, giving them a piece of these other offices that they have absolutely nothing to do with may not achieve that goal. For sure. So one of the the strategies with this is okay, let's let's have them buy in and own at that one place. They're going to work harder because they have a piece of right. that. And that's going to be our, our incentive for that. Um, and then oftentimes we'll see a combination of the JV and parent level. Now, right. that, that's usually at a larger DSO. But when you're talking about typically with a smaller group and a growing group, uh, you're probably looking at a JV equity again. So the associate's not owning a piece of the practice entity. That's owned by the founder and their yeah. their dental partners, perhaps. Um, so the the associate really only owns the interest in this management company, whose sole purpose is to manage that one practice. And we're going to get a little complicated and legal on it. And then that one practice DSO then subcontracts out all these management services to the big parent DSO. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's important if if your plan here is to incentivize associates at a particular location, you want their 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 success to be derived and the profit and the value to be derived at what happens at that location. And I think you know I can add in you this your your um really laying down a lot of good legal jargon. I follow the majority of it, but I know this is your day-to-day -day life with this, Rob. But on my day-to-day -day life, like in my office yesterday, is working with other dentists that don't own our practice, right? My brother and I own the practice. We have right. an associate general dentist. We have specialists. And I think maybe it's worth just adding in for our listeners that incentivizing an associate to stay with you doesn't always have to come with equity. So if you're going mm -hmm. to add this, show them what the upside is for them, right? right? So sometimes there's so many feelings in this where someone DMs me and says, this this XYZ DSO or this group wants me to own 15% of X. I said, well, what's the upside for you, right? What is the upside for you? And ask them what the upside is for you because mm -hmm. if you're offering someone something in any relationship, you should be able to describe the upsides and the potential pitfalls of it. And I think you know, what you just shared there is, I think an associate, if you're listening, you have to be ready to engage with an attorney so that they can make mm -hmm. you, this is like the supersize. You know, they're not allowed to do supersize anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, they, did, they did that uh, documentary and the guy ate at McDonald's for 30 straight days right. years ago. And right. uh, it, didn't, it didn't was so unhealthy, well. it turned them into like, they, we'll, they weren't, we'll they can't figure. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I'm not really yeah. sure what, what you could eat for so 30 Mc, days and, and be healthy yeah, anywhere, McDonald's right? McDonald's claimed that there was, uh, so, um, but this is this to, to call back 
previous things where you get an attorney to review your associate contract to make you aware of what's in it. Yeah. Well, this is the supersized version of this. Yeah. Because I have a magic, Rob, you sit down with an associate and says, mm -hmm. you know, if you agree to this, you might never be able to move from this state, right? You know, yeah. and they say, well, I want to maybe move across the country and be, my wife wants to be a Somalier, my husband wants this. And so I think that in a roundabout way, I'm just kind of pointing out that getting associates to stay with you long-term, equity doesn't have to be the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. But it can be if you align personality-wise. And I think this is a real personality fit-wise. I don't know if you see this with your clients, that if we're talking about building a group practice and offering some type of equity to the um, associate, it's just as much, if not more, about their personality type than it is the profit sharing. Yeah, a personality and just also expectations. Yeah. And I think you you really, you hit on a good a good topic here, as usual. Well, Amigo, thanks, Rob. Right? Appreciate it. Uh, and this is, this is one of the challenges with these sorts of arrangements is they're complicated. Right. They're really complicated. And if you're talking about a larger DSO and a bigger practice, maybe a, you know one of these 20% buy-ins might be for $200,000, $250,000. So it's, you know, it's not an insignificant amount right. of money, but it's also not an, a ton of money to justify uh, all the, the complexity in understanding and navigating the complexity in these legal documents. Right. And where we find on the associate side where these things can often go wrong uh, is that people don't understand what they sign themselves up for. Now, you know, obviously we're talking about this from the flip side today. You know, this is the employer looking yeah. to bring these people on. However, uh, I think that it's important to really keep in mind that if you want to build a long standing, long-term, mutually beneficial relationship, then sort of tricking, right. for lack of a better <laughs> yeah, word, yeah. the associate or pressuring them or setting them, setting them up for something that they weren't really ready for is not really a great strategy. Yeah, because, and also uh, I've seen this in a more, you know, we're talking about assembling a group practice and you deal with larger deals all the time, but I have a close friend who owned a giant practice, and then his associate there wanted to partner with him. So they bought an entirely separate practice 50-50. Mm -hmm. And that made sense for them. And then they've now bought another practice 50-50. And I don't know at this point now, eight years later, if the original associate now has equity inside of the giant one that it started with. Mm -hmm. But that story mm -hmm. makes sense because the practice owners kind of said, hey, let's buy this thing 50-50 and be in it together 50-50. And if I, I, Jeff and I have two practices and we're kind of on break from trying to get any other locations where our sanity is stretched at this point. Right. But if one of my associates said, hey, I really want to get into practice ownership and I want to be here and there's a third practice that we could buy 50-50, I could see how that's a really good way to test this relationship in a way where we both, our skin in the game mm -hmm. is somewhat equal, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to saying you can buy twelve percent of this parent company, and then how do you get it back out later? Right? Yeah, well, that's that's an, that's an issue too, you know. And that's from, and I think again, if you don't, if you're not transparent with this stuff, I, I don't think it's a good a good strategy right. uh, to to not be transparent, uh, because there's disruption when you have an unhappy, unsatisfied partner. 
Uh, right. It may trigger a buyout. It may trigger litigation. You know, litigation with partners is not a good thing when you're trying to raise money, right. trying to to attract other people. I mean, the dental communities are somewhat small, right? Even yeah. in, in big cities, like people kind of know what's going on. And if if you're in litigation with one or more of your partners over something that even if they didn't understand it, and if what you're did was what was provided for in the documents. It doesn't matter. You know, misunderstanding is just leads to disruption. Disruption in the in this world leads to a hit on revenue, right? Yeah. And, and I also think I did something once, Rob, that a guy uh, messaged me who was a tough customer in my dental nachos group. He said, Paul, you are exactly right. I go, tell me more. I want to know more for, about the story. He goes, I did exactly what you said. I said, oh, great. What was that? And he said, I wrote an associate because I said, if you're a practice owner and you want to hire an associate, create an agreement in it that you would sign yourself. And he did that. And it was really actually good advice for me. Mm -hmm. He offered Very his good. associate something that he would be okay signing, mm -hmm. right? And that's in this, this associate world. Well, now we go back to this building the group practice and I don't know you know, who's, who's, whose side you're on most of the time. But sometimes I think that the practice owners, they're just offering something that they would never sign themselves. Right. And it it comes out in the energy of the deal. Is that, even though it's kind of a hokey, you know, a, I don't know, new agey way to put it. Yeah. But I think that comes out when you're presenting something to somebody that you just wouldn't feel good signing yourself. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think some of this too, you know, previous seasons we've talked about DSOs and sort of the the differences between a DSO deal uh, and a and a doctor to doctor deal. And just issues too with uh, with employment agreements, you know, in DSOs right. versus doctor-owned practices, because again, let's let's flash back to that. There's a difference if you are a dentist working in this practice alongside of this person, right. than if you are sitting in an office in a high-rise in another part of the country. Right? right? It's easy to be to to be dismissive or to set things up in a way that aren't so great for the associate if you don't have to work with right. them every yes, day. Exactly. Right? So. A lot of these uh, concepts and models get borrowed from these traditional DSOs that yeah. don't have to deal with it. But you know, the reality is, when you are a, a newly emerging, you know, growing group practice, you as the dentist are still very involved with all right. of the other associates and other dentists in the practice, uh, and so you don't really have that luxury of setting up some one of these, you know, not so spectacular arrangements. And also, you know, it's, it's a really good topic that we're talking about. And I want to ask a question before I say that in a second, it's, it's, it's a, as the practice owner or the group owner, you're now inviting someone to have a, as you would say, a seat at the decision table right. from what color uniforms mm -hmm. people wear mm -hmm. to buying a CBCT. So as the parent owner of this, you also really should think carefully about and hire your own team to help you understand, do you want to invite someone whether they're a 12% owner or 38% owner, right. they're going to be at the decision table. I want to ask you a question. Well, let me, let me oh, speak good. to yeah, that. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the, the, the short answer, and I'm not sure if it was a question, but yeah. the short answer, if it were a question, was is that uh, you just can't give them a say. I mean, at 38%, that's different. You know, yeah. what, what we're typically talking about here are smaller minority interests yeah. in the ballpark of 15 to 20% of that one practice, that's a little more typical. But you can't allow that person to have a say because if you're trying to build a brand and you want 
there to be uniformity among all these practices, which you need that. Yeah. I mean, managing a portfolio of eight to 10 different practices, which are completely different right. from each other in every way, is that's, that's not a good strategy, right? So there's going to have to be uniformity, which means that you're going to have to be a benevolent dictator with this right. stuff. And uh, I think it's important to, again, to be transparent with that. But you you can't have a situation where where that minority equity owner has a, sh- a stake in things. And, and to that end, you know, there's also when it comes time to sell, you don't want them to be able to right, block that right sale. There. So one of the crucial provisions that need to be in the in the operative agreements here is a clause which is known as drag along rights, which means that if you want to sell the practice, you are able to drag along that minority owner and force them to sell as I well. Gotcha. You know, so you know the example I would use is let's say you own 20 80% of the practice and I own 20% and you've got a $15 million deal on the table to sell the portfolio and it's somehow my consent is required. And I say, well, you know, let's hold out for a few more right. years, Paul, because I think we can get $20 million for this and it's going to make my interest worth $100,000 more. And you're like, hey, Rob, I got a big deal right. on the line here. Don't mess it up for me. Uh, you, you can't take that risk. So, kind of you know, the, the ways to deal with that again is the 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 associate does not own the practice level equity, and then also you've got these these drag. So it seems rights. like there's. I know these deals do happen, right? So it sounds like the associate signing these have to have a high level trust in this person because they're basically saying, "Hey, I'm going to be." There, this was my going to be my question. Who funds these deals usually when they want to buy fifteen percent? Is it a traditional bank? Are they doing owner financing? Mm. Are they like how are they paying for the ten percent? It all depends. Uh, so frequently, the financing would be with the same financing that the practice has because they're going to want a uh, typically they're going to want to lean on the practice assets or first position. So if they're already first on everything else, they would want to be first on this as well. Um, and sometimes you'll also see seller financing on this where there's a note. I also think as you're saying this, that, you know, you're 15% owner of the practice, I guess in a basic way, you are going to get 15% of the profits now, right? You're not getting anything before, but I think sometimes associates are, would be underwhelmed at how much profit there is left over to split. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think. And everybody feels this way. And I'm sure even I felt this way working for my own dad and his partner. I just was mismatched that, oh, I'm doing all this dentistry. I must be making this person so much money, right? Even if I'm, you know, the associates can be making great money. They're making $280,000 a year. And they think, when I'm a partner of this place, there just is going to be a faucet of money coming right, out. Right. And I think they are signing up for something sometimes that doesn't even have the upside that's really impactful for their lives. Quite likely. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, I think, you know, f- frequently these aren't good deals for the associates, you know, yeah. um, but um, they can be. It depends what, what the goal is. You know, they're especially now, you know, there's more people that are less interested in you know, solo practice ownership, you know, and this gives And I, people- I think in some ways it's, it, if you're listening and you're doing this, if you were going to be in an area, if you're going to work with this group and this is your career and you're going to be a dentist and you don't think you're going to go out and take a loan to do what ideal practices does or look around with a transitions broker and you say, hey, I'm going to work for the next 15 years, or there could be upside for you. Oh, because, for sure. you know, 
you're it's like that mutual fund of profit, right? There could be upside. You just have to be aware that things mm -hmm. can go sideways. And now the way you're handcuffed to this, I mean, I was just thinking before, is this an opportunity or an anchor for the associate? <laughs> it all depends, <laughs> right? Know? It depends on what the associate may want to do that could be anchored, that they could be anchored from doing. Uh, and this goes back to, I think it's important for them to have an understanding as to what is being offered and what is not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it can be, and there's a reason why this is a good strategy from a retention standpoint, that it, it it's a sticky situation. And I also, I might be overly optimistic, Rob, because I know you're like, you're like the um, Philadelphia police officer of deals, right? You see a lot of stuff that goes wrong that other people don't see. So I under, I'm going to say this with the context of understanding a little bit of your world. But like, if this was me, even in my own little world of having eight past general dental associates, I wouldn't have offered this to all eight of them, right? So mm -hmm. if I am offering this to one of them, it often is a compliment to them as a professional and a person right? to say, would you like to have equity inside of what we do? Because some would just not cut out for it. But that's a little different too. I mean, so you're, you know, you're, you're looking at two practices, right? That you're talking about with right. yours. And so you don't really need those people to have equity. I mean, right. you 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 have the luxury you can hire associates. You don't need to to hire twenty associates. Yeah. You know, once you start getting into those higher numbers, and it's like how how are you going to attract these people? And a lot of people want equity. The retention comp component of this is real. I mean, this is from an, an owner standpoint who's looking to assemble a portfolio. If people are buying into the practice, they have borrowed money or they've put yeah. their own cash into this. And there are, you know, these are there's going to be provisions in here that do not allow them to get their money back if they want to leave. Right. You know, and that's just the way it needs to be. There's nothing mean about that. It's just the practical reality. I mean, this is not like like a like a stock exchange yeah. that you have, you know, associates coming and going and trading their equity, and you know, any given day somebody can sell and buy. So I mean, it's not really realistic or. Uh, to 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 expect have to have liquidity with this. So once these people plunk down the money and they have a, a hefty non-compete, or I should say a, a reasonably strong non-compete, which again you need, uh, it's hard for them to yeah. leave. And and that is the number one reason to do this. You know, if if uh, you're saying are they being anchored to the practice? I guess that's a matter of you know, yeah. personal judgment, right? right? Do I feel like I am a partner or do I feel like I've got an anchor around my ankle? Um, but there's no doubt that this is this is a retention strategy. Yeah. And in this day and age where uh, it's hard to retain associates, the relationships are not as sticky, uh, this is a great way to do it. Yeah, I could, I could, I mean, it's, I was just on some uh, Zooms today and talking with some DSOs. There's just this, the, there's a creative ownership opportunities that did not exist inside of dentistry even 10 years ago. And I think it's great that we're talking about them for people, like you said, so they're aware and prepared and hopefully a little bit scared of making decisions that are not easy to undo. You know, right. and, yeah, I was talking with someone who, their associateship's not going, they make a lot of money, their associateship's not going well. I go, you should feel really good you didn't buy into this practice. 
because mm-hmm. you your freedom and flexibility is 100% intact. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like, as you know, once you sign on DocuSign, no one signs any dotted lines anymore, Rob, with the pad. I'd like to come in with an Alexander Hamilton pen and sign something. So know, just, well, you, can you, you create a document of some I'm sort? I'm looking across the table. Yeah. You've got an old school notebook <laughs> yeah, right, and a exactly. pen. Yeah, yeah. Just, I wanna, like I, some old guy, Paul. But once you DocuSign on the line, or, you know, you are committed. And yeah, yeah it sounds like you really help people understand what they're committing to. Right. Uh, and I'm assuming we also, is just kind of a common theme in all seasons, people do this without the right advisors all the and time. get themselves stuck. All the time. And, you know, and, and really it goes both ways. So, you know, we've talked about this issue from the associate side in, in a previous episode in a previous season, but we see this a lot too from the practice center side where they have not structured this whole thing properly. And uh, then we have to try to clean it up, and and it's a bit of a mess, especially if equity has been sold. And yeah. uh, this is it can be well, can be it is from a, a legal documentation standpoint a very tedious project. Right. You know, this is a a true you know connect the dots with different agreements that impact other things, and the, when you change something one place, it has an impact on other things. Yeah. So these are these are fairly detailed and sophisticated documents that you have to be careful when you set them up. Right. And, and we've had several clients come to us in, in, in recent months who had these, these arrangements set up by you know, large firms who just kind of did it on autopilot and they made mistakes. Yeah. And somewhat, you know, there are things that the client could have caught, but they don't even understand right. what the, what's been done for them. So- you know, it's hard to spot an error that the lawyer made when you don't even right. know what the heck it is or understand this. It's sort of like- and It goes back to these things that we talk about. These are once decisions. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, I am a dentist, Rob. I know how dentists think. They will put more, first of all, they'll spend more money on their terrible golf swing than they will in their business. And they still stink at golf, right? They will get golf <laughs> lessons. And then on the other hand, even inside their business, they will spend more time researching and thinking about changing their dental lab where both dental labs do good work, but then somehow they look over in their business world and go, I should just try to do this myself, or I should engage with people and not really know who I'm engaging with. And it's just mind boggling to me because it really can derail their what they built. Yeah, yeah, you know? oh, for sure. Uh, and, and, and like I was saying, I mean, we see more and more of this, and I think it's with the proliferation of entrepreneurial dentistry, yeah. which is great. You know, we support it obviously and wholeheartedly, but where there we're starting to see the people that uh, tried to do this and didn't do it right. And, yeah. um, and it's not because they didn't spend a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely something you have to be careful. You have to understand just like anything else that you're buying. You know, if you, if you are a consumer of legal services and you are, asking for this structure to be put right. in place, like you need to understand all the right. ins and outs of it. And if somebody can't explain it to you, then there's a problem. Right. You yeah. know, because I'm going to say every dentist, and there are probably people are going to smirk when they hear this, but every dentist is is intelligent. Right. You know, that's uh, it's just a matter of how. I mean, yeah. and so we're not talking about a group of people that, that can't understand things. I mean, they, we were talking about the the, the cream of the crop academically right. through college that got into to dental school. These are bright people. So you, even though you're a legal 
uh, layperson listeners, if you are a dentist, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to understand right. this stuff, yeah. right? And and if it's not being explained to you in a way that you understand it, then that is a problem. I, t- okay? I, t- I totally agree with you, and I think that's you know such an important point, especially as these things we say get more complex. And you know, as a, our listeners, you built this thing; it's important to you. Make sure you pay attention to what you do next, and then also on the associate end. Make sure what you're signing up for is something that you want to sign up for, because I I actually see well, you probably see it, and it's, it's a little bit poignant to say there's more regret with these things a lot of times than there is the rewards. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good note to to finish yeah. up here, Paul. Thanks uh, as always, great conversation, folks. If uh, you enjoyed the episode today, please uh, go on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to the uh, the podcast and give us a good review and. Till the next time, thank you. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.